one of the things that I wanted to also share was just not only on how God worked through the marriage, uh, or through the marriage of the churches individually, but also through uh, through the church, how we've seen God work through church. One of the things that we could have never planned for was the October fires, something that was never on our radar. And yet, as a result of the merge, we were able, because of the bodies coming together, the shared resources, and the shared leadership, we were able to invest immediately in the recovery side. Um, we were able to take part in FEMA water distribution, to step aboard of that and to develop a team that is ministering out at FEMA every other week, distributing water. But the truth is that the water, the water is just the tool and the mechanism to get there. It's the relationships that have been developed with the people out of the site. It would have never happened apart from the merge because there wasn't enough with, between the two bodies. One of the other things was the, um, many of you may not know, but we have taken on what, what is the fire ministry, the ministry leaders and pastors of Wasserman Homes Stand Fire. We've taken the lead for that. And so um, Ben and myself, um, uh, Jeff Marshall and uh, David Miller from Petaluma and now Char Broderson from Santa Rosa have all been a part of a team of pastors that have been caring for these other 21 people, elders and pastors, ministry leaders in this community, the foster homes. Um, so that you know that as a church that these are things that we are stepping out in. Um, and it's been overwhelming to see the care. We've had churches from all over the state that have contacted us saying we want to help with the care of these ministry leaders. Um, and so that would have never happened. And we'll be honest with you, the time has been uh, something that we would have never imagined how much time that goes into that process. But what has allowed us to do that is by being together. We could have never foreseen that, but God did. God knew it and saw it. Um, the new relationships that we've seen rise up between families and the connections that wouldn't have been there otherwise, even in the area of Rudell mentioning autism or homeschooling or um, just the friendships that are coming on, on together. And so we've seen the new relationships rising. The opportunity for neighborhood evangelism. Uh, one of the things that, that we've been able to do was for Bible Adventure Week, we went throughout the neighborhood in this area, uh, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight blocks back um, towards the east, and, and then we came west. And the number of families that just begin to realize that we're, we're here together. Uh, with that, the movie night, being able to, to share in that together and, and being able to do that. So we're having new opportunities of evangelism here within our neighborhood. One area that you may not even realize that our merge has benefited has been in the area of church planting. The parish church in Petaluma, which is a church plant, um, the chairs that were a part of Calvary's old facilities have gone to that church plant in Petaluma to help that church. The sound system, many of the sound pieces that we are not using together because of collective have gone to that ministry. So what's happening is our coming together and shared resources has often offered up additional resources so that they can go out and be used in the kingdom of God is being, um, as people are moving forward in the ministry of the kingdom of God. It's an awesome thing. Things that we could have never foreseen. And yet God's continuing to show us ways that the merge has really already begun to benefit the kingdom of God. One of the other areas has been just in leadership in the area of the Gospel Coalition and next-gen churches. When we came together, Ben and I both were part of the Gospel Coalition kind of steering team, leadership team. But we had a desire to see it, 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 it change some direction. And so Ben has kind of taken the point uh, of 
of leading out the Gospel Coalition and helping set the direction um, right now and, and step into that role as we begin to partner together with other like-minded churches and desiring really, truly partnership, not just fellowship, but serving along together. Um, this past spring, I stepped on the board of Next Gen Churches, which is a denomination that works together. We've asked to serve that, not because it was something else that we wanted more to do, but because both been in my heart was that, that there would be some changes within our denomination. And as we saw them moving in the right direction, and then the, the opportunity to serve in that way became available, and it was an opportunity to be a part of, of continuing that new work that's being done within the, the next-gen churches. And so we have an opportunity to be a part of shaping the direction, coming along churches inside, churches that are being planted, and being raised up, and different mission work that's being done. And so the, the opportunities that continue to abound as a direct result of the merge. The fact that what we can do alone, we can do far better together. And the fact that being together has allowed us to continue to carry out the purpose. And then finally, beginning to look forward into the coming year and years of what God is beginning to do. And Ben will share a few of those things during his challenge this morning. But the truth is, is that God has an ongoing plan for us. And this is just the beginning. We get to, to kind of celebrate what was, but now God's wanting us to go forward. And to look forward and press forward into his mission and into the, the vision that he has for this church. And so it's exciting to see what God has done. And if God can do that, we should have confidence that God can do whatever he's called us to do through us. Right? That if he's working through us, he will accomplish his purpose and his mission for redemption of the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray as we uh, turn to God's word. Lord, we honor you this morning. We praise your name. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the way that you wisely build your church. Lord, this thing won't fail because you are the head of the church. And you are sovereign and you are completely in control of what happens with your bride, and so Father, we, as a local expression of that larger church, we praise you and honor you, and we rest in your authority. Now, God, as we turn and we think about this coming year, as we think about what is ahead, God, I pray that you would grant us hope. Hope that you will work. Hope that you will grow us and sanctify us and use your word and use your people and use the means that you have appointed to bring about your will in our hearts, in our homes, in this church, in this neighborhood. So we pray for your will to be done and we prepare ourselves to be a part of doing that will. Help this morning in looking at your word to serve that purpose and glorify you, God, in what we do. In Jesus' name, for his sake we pray. Amen. Well, I, as we've looked back um, over this last year, I hope that seeing God's uh, his power and his faithfulness uh, has stirred a trust in you that looks forward. Uh, as we think about what he's done, he is going to continue to work. 
And so uh, I want just our last bit of time together this morning. This will not be as long as a typical sermon. I know you're wondering that, but we'll just say that. Um, uh, I want us to, to look forward now as, as a body uh, and consider uh, the great things that God has promised to do. I imagine we're in a lot of different places this morning. Some of you may be uh, in a season of spiritual drought. Maybe this merge hasn't been all that, that you thought it was going to be cracked up to be, and you feel isolated, and uh, your, your faith feels uh, more like a little pilot light than a light shining on a hill, you know, where you're at this morning. Maybe you're sensing, and others of you, that God is up to something in your life. There's, there's His invisible grace that's shifting things around. You don't know exactly what He's going to do, but you know He's up to something. Desiring to find that out. Others of you may um, have a holy discontent, a desire to desire more of Christ. So you, you want that hunger satisfied. Others of you are thriving Christ daily. And so, regardless of where we're at this morning, I think it's safe to say that each of us would desire a greater sense of God's presence and of His power at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. No matter where you're at, I think you would desire that. It, even though that's a common desire, I guess the question that I have, that I think this text addresses this morning is, are there any guarantees with that? Any guaranteed answers for that? Any ways that we know that God is going to work? As excited as we can be about what God is doing through this emergency, we cannot pin our hopes on any one church or any one church program would be foolish, because we can't guarantee what we don't control, right? So the question is, are there any guarantees that God is going to do work in our lives in this coming year? Are there assurances for that? Does God give guarantees? That sounds odd even to say. Turn your Bible to Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. This is kind of a concluding paragraph of the letter Hebrews, uh, these folks who are likely uh, suffering great things, and as I look at this passage, I'd like for us to just have an, um, an unshakable hope as we think about the future and God's desire to work. Okay? Let me read this for us. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equipped you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's word to us. You don't have a, an outline in your bulletin like normal. You can just kind of flip the calendar over if you want that was in there. And it's going to be simple and short this morning. Uh, we're going to get to the point of what this passage is about and look at two things, who he's praying to and what he's praying for. So the point, who he's praying to and what he's praying for. As I read this, you notice there's a, a type of benediction, right? Kind of a closing, a summarizing prayer and desire this author has. Um, it's a hopeful request for these followers of Jesus who are struggling under, under persecution and different things. But this is not um, like a Hail Mary prayer. Uh, 
And by that I mean it's a, it's not a, you know, might as well take a shot at it kind of prayer. This author fully expects for God to give a big fat yes to this prayer. That's his expectation as he prays it. And there's a confidence behind what he's saying. Now, why is he so confident in what he's praying? Well, let's look at what the point is first. And in time, we'll see why he's so confident in getting this answer of yes from God. In terms of what the point is, he starts off, now may the God of peace. So he's, he's hoping for God to do something. It's a prayer of sorts. And the word may, you know, may the God of peace, is actually related to the main verb of this, these two verses, which is in verse 21, the word equip. It's in a certain sense that communicates a desire or a possibility. Okay? May equip you. Now, may God, God of peace equip you, essentially, is the point. So verse 20 kind of unpacks who he's praying to, and verse 21 explains what he's praying for. Okay? He's asking for God to do something. But what does he mean when he says, now may the God of peace equip you? Equip means to um, complete or restore to make adequate, to cause to be fully qualified, is what it means. Okay? So he's asking God to supply these disciples with what they need so that they can do his will. Okay? That's what he's praying for. God, supply them, train them, provide, complete them. That's, that's what his prayer is. This is a simple point. Um, but he's saying, God, do a work in these people and, and help them work it out. Okay? He's not just saying, God, do something in them and provide for what they need. It would be like, have you ever been singing um, this morning? He breaks the power of canceled sin, something we just sang. It'd be like a member of our church as we sing those types of lyrics for God, persuade the people of Redemption Hill that he breaks the power of canceled sin. Supply that, provide that, give us grace to believe the things that we sing. It would be like that kind of intercession. That's what this author is doing. God, do a work in them. Do it now. Give what's needed so that they'll do your will. And that's why I love this prayer so much because he is so confident that God is going to say yes to them. He assumes it almost. Now, if that's the point, now may the God of peace equip them or provide for them why is he so confident? Two reasons. Because he knows who he's praying to, and he knows who he's praying for. So first, he knows who he's praying to. In verse 20, he gives kind of a big resume of who he's praying to. And this author knows who he's praying to. He's praying to the God of peace, it says, first of all. This is a God who has purchased peace terms for humanity. He's done something to make a way to be with humanity, sinful humanity, again. These peace terms stand. And God has initiated that and paid a great price in order to secure peace between us. That's the kind of God that he's praying to. He's also praying to the God, he says, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. He's our, he took our great shepherd out of the grave. Literally means he, he, he commanded, he summoned the dead man out of the dirt. Now that, that is an impressive quality on a resume when you're asking for someone to do something, right? 
So if God is able to raise the dead, it's likely he's able to supply what's needed. But he didn't just raise anyone, he raised the great shepherd of the sheep. He raised, he defended our defender, he protected our protector, he raised our Lord Jesus, who is now positioned with full authority and power at his right hand in heaven, interceding for us. That's what God did. A lot of the rest of Hebrews insist how God sympathizes with us and intercedes for us and how his blood purchases us and represents us. So he's praying to the God of peace. He's praying to the God who brought up our great shepherd from the grave. And he's praying to the God who secured the salvation given in the new covenant. You notice he says, Now may the God of peace be brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by or with the blood of the eternal covenant. And that's going to feed into what the main verb is in the quick. But he's, he's praying to this God who's done something to seal this covenant with us. Now there's a couple of different ways that it could be translated. He could mean uh, equip them with the instrument of God's securing blood, God's sacrificial blood. But what I think he's really doing is describing the reason why God raised Jesus from the dead, which is because it, it, the implication is that there's this new covenant that's now created and sealed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. I think wit is probably a better way of viewing that. He raised him, he was raised also with this understanding that his sacrifice would accomplish something that would bring assurance to God's people. In the New Covenant. Now, the New Covenant is this promise that includes the forgiveness of our sins, the indwelling work and presence of the Holy Spirit, how the law is now internalized in a sense, and now we obey the law through that, that we're now free to obey through that New Covenant, and all of that was guaranteed by God when He raised our great shepherd from the grave. Does that make sense? So that is the resume. That's who this man is praying to. The God of peace. The God who raised Jesus from the dead. The God who secured an eternal covenant with his people. That's who he's praying to. And can you see why he would be confident that a God who is able to do all of those things could keep the people that he saved? You see? Like if God is like this, if he's able to do these things, if his demeanor towards us is so giving, it's obvious that God is pretty interested in saving his people when he's doing the things he's doing in verse 20. So, because he's bought expensive peace terms, because he's raised them, because he's secured this new way of relating to God, this author thinks he's going to answer this prayer. Does it make sense that the God who would set up the whole rescue operation but purchase it, but then not give it fully to his people? I mean, think about that. In your own walk of faith, when there are times that you were so skeptical of what God is like, and what he's up to, and what his will is towards us, and I think what verse 20 does is just set God's kindness on a foundation that's not moving. God is this way. He has acted this way in history, and we now can view him through the lens of the cross. 
So that even when we're not sure of what God is up to, we always know he's good to us. And that he's kind. And that he has a plan and a purpose. Why would God go to such great lengths to not supply? It doesn't make sense. So he knows who he's praying to. But secondly, in verse 21, he knows what he's praying for. Notice in verse 21 what, how this all cashes out. What, is, what does this all result in? That he would equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. You see how this, those three different ways of describing it, doing his will, doing that which is pleasing in his sight, and doing it for his glory, all these things are feeding God's main purpose, which is to bring glory and credit to himself. So he's not just saying, oh, God, this great God, intercede for them, just for them. Saying, God, intercede, help, provide, give the grace needed so that you can be glorified and you can be treasured and you can be honored in the way that you deserve. And that is a prayer that God will answer. Because God is about his glory, right? That's the fundamental reason why everything exists in the universe. So that's the kind of prayer that God is going to answer. It might sound like a dumb question, but it's kind of what we ask sometimes. Just does God want to supply what's needed to do his will? Do you think God would assist a person who's committed to doing what he wants? Does God care enough about being glorified to help his people? Yeah. <laughs> he does. God does not send where he does not equip. He does not employ where he does not supply. And he does not command us and then withhold from us. Reminds me of what Augustine said, O oh Lord, command what you will and give what you command. God supplies his people to do what his will is. Not about you, but just reading this really encouraged me. Like God wants us to do his will. Badly enough, but look at what, what it says. If he'll equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Good kind of means useful. It means anything that you would need, you'd have it. God is so interested in helping us to do his will, he'll provide everything so that you can do it. Now that's a pretty comprehensive statement, right? It's like, well, God has these kind of resources and pulls from these categories and, you know, you only pick four or five of them, you know. It's not that kind of thing. Anything you need, you got. Anything you need to do as well, he'll provide for you. Isn't that crazy? You and I never lack the resources to do the will of God. It doesn't always feel like that, right? God, if I just had this, God, I would make you all the time, right? You think that. But he'll provide everything, he'll equip you. Anything useful to do his will, he'll provide. The problem is that our, our desires are not always to do his will. And he doesn't provide for that. He provides for doing his will. Now, how would God be able to provide everything that's needed to do his will? I mean, that's a lot, right? Because his will includes things like loving certain things. An internal kind of uh, 
responses to things and heart worship and all this. How in the world would God be able to equip us in every way to do His will? Well, it says, the next phrase, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Working in us. God doesn't just supply the material stuff you need and kind of give you all the resources and you dig through it and figure He is working within us to accomplish what He wants from us. Isn't that really good of Him to do that? It's not just, well, I'll give you a a place to be and people around you, the community, all the external stuff. He works within us to produce the things that He desires from us. This is one of the most amazing and gracious things that God does. He is pleased with us when he is the one working in us to please himself. It's like when I ask um, Hudson to clean his room. And I know that by asking Hudson to clean his room, I am going to be the one sitting there with Hudson, <laughs> overwatching and putting things away, and where, where did the shoes go again? And just like this kind of, uh, kind of fake accomplishment, almost, on Hudson's part. But then as a dad, you're like, hey, good job, you're cleaning it up. It looks great in here, you know, because that's where he's at. That's what he needs. I'm, I'm, he's doing it, but he's only doing it because I'm doing it. Right? And that's kind of what this is saying. We accomplish God's will, but not in a way where we it's ever detached from God's grace. He's working within us to create those desires that he'll satisfy He's working within us to create conviction of things that we're blind to. It's amazing that God works within us to do what He wants. Incredible. That's why this author is so confident that God is able to equip His people. So God's working kind of on the inside to make this happen. Now, how is God able to do all of this? And being in such close proximity to sinful people, people who on their own, apart from his grace, would reject him. They would think that they were sufficient to do things on their own. How could that be? Final phrase. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That's how. Through the Son. Through the accomplishment and the victory of Jesus Christ that any of this is possible, that we can glorify God. Again, showing us that this is contingent on His grace, not on our stick to itness. A guy named F.B. Meyer, who was just in fuego when he preached on Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. I, I wish I could have been there to listen to this sermon uh, by F.B. Meyer, but he says this If our God has given us such a shepherd, and raised him to such a glory that he may help us to more efficiently, there is every reason why we should confidently count on his doing all that may be needed in us, as he has done all that was needed for us. God has done the things that verse 20, verse 21 says, and we can expect him to work. We can expect him to change us and to do his will, and not be so pessimistic. I think part of the reason why I'm so pessimistic about growth in my life is because I'm looking 
pliability, my lack of discipline, my self-centeredness, and I just by look and looking at that going, there is no hope. Right? 2019 is done for. But what this is doing is getting our eyes off of ourselves and saying, here's what God has done. Here's God's level of investment in the equipping of his people. And that, my friends, we can have faith in. Not ourselves, not our own strengths and desires, but his ability to accomplish his will in us. Both as individuals and as a church. And so that's my encouragement to us. That's it. That's simple. But this is a guaranteed prayer. And that's what I want you to walk away with. To not wonder if God is interested in working in you. But if we consider who he is, if we consider who we're praying to and what he's done. Oh my, may the Holy Spirit fill us with faith. God is able to accomplish his will. Our God is a peacemaker, a great robber, a covenant keeper, and a grace giver. He's proven an interest in helping his people, right? So away with the idea that God is disinterested in the nitty-gritty of your life and helping you accomplish his will. He is. He's not a crotchety, bent out of shape, and unaware of what's needed in a given situation. He's got everything ready to provide to do his will. Everything points to him wanting to help, not wanting not disinterest or something. So, simple but helpful, I hope. God is eager to help us. He's invested in helping us. God is willing and able to help us. He's the only one who can. I hope that that's a, this benediction in Hebrews may be a source of meditation for you this week as you consider the way that you've just written off that area of your life for growing. God is able to do that. Here's just some implications for us as we wrap up. This prayer gives you the hope that God can change you, that God can make something of you this year, that he can move that immovable rock that he can't push. Your great shepherd is still Jesus. He is still the senior pastor of our church. And he will continue to be faithful to us. This new covenant still stands. It's all still true and sealed and done. God will provide what's needed to do His will. One of the things that we've been starting to pray through and think about as leaders and as a church is um, thinking about, you know, God will empower us to do what He commands, right? To do His will. Well, the Great Commission to make disciples was really the heartbeat of what we're doing at Redemption Hill. And so this pastor has been great to form relationships and network and, and start to get to know one another. That's been a, been a great process and it's still in process. Right? And we're not 100% there or anything. What I want to remind us of as we form that community is that we're not just uh, getting to know one another for, for friendship's sake. Our desire to build a community is to grow and to be able to disciple one another and help each other and, and spiritually benefit one another in community. The foundation of that, you've got to know a person, right, in order to do that. But as that foundation gets stronger and stronger, I want to encourage us to build on that and say, use those relationships to grow. Don't just be satisfied with knowing people. Let's leverage the community of faith to grow with one another. 
excited as that continues, as we build up one another in the faith, how that catches out in, in reaching out to the people around us and being a witness to the people in our neighborhood and in this area. I look forward to that foundation being strengthened, to those discipling, uh, being encouraged, and then eventually uh, breaking out of our church and the need to do so badly to get the gospel out. This last week is just reminded again of the need to constantly be ready to, to share the gospel with others. And the second time is to share the gospel with a person who was unconscious in that death door last week. Man, God, be ready to do that at the beginning of these days. So God will work. Let's trust Him. He's proven Himself. Let's rely on Him as we move forward as a church uh, because of who He is and because of what He's done. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us as we uh, wrap up with one final song. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you indeed are our sympathetic high priest. You actually advocate for your people. You have granted us a, a status with, with uh, you and the Father and the Spirit of this, this righteous status, this blameless status with you that frees us to to be the children of God, to be the sons and daughters of God. God, I pray that you would help us to be hopeful about your ability to change us this year, about your ability to form a, a community here at Redemption Hill that is, that is unique and godly and outward focused and sacrificial and Echoes your grace. God, you're able to do that. We look at ourselves and we think there's there's not a lot of not a lot of hope here. <laughs> but God, when we look at what you're capable of doing, we we go into this coming year with with a sense of hope and expectancy even. Because you are going to be the God you've always been. So help us, help us to uh, consider these things to. To reflect and, and, and ask ourselves, are the things that we're doing and thinking and, and investing in in our lives really resulting in, the, in your will, in your glory? And as we clarify that, I pray you just strengthen us by your grace and equip us in the way that you promised in this passage. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we trust that you are going to continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.